You know, last week I had a, a small outpatient procedure, uh, and the doctor did something that was new to me uh, when I had my consultation before, and he prescribed one pill, just one. And I was to pick that up after the appointment that day and wait until the morning of the procedure and take it because it was a Valium and it was to just chill me out before the procedure. And so I took that Valium and Nicole took me to the doctor's office and I don't really remember this. All the details are pretty fuzzy, but apparently I was wearing my sunglasses and I just walked into the doctor's office and sat down. And the person at the desk said to Nicole, he's just chilled out, isn't he? Um, I was pretty relaxed. I'm afraid that many times when we hear the word peace, that that's what we think of. We think of zoned out, tuned out. We think of chilled out. This morning, what I want you to see is that the peace that we're celebrating and the peace that is available in Jesus is more than just being mellow. It's more than just tuning the world out. It's something far, far greater. And Luke chapter 2, and we're going to read those verses of Scripture this month as we celebrate Christmas. And I hope that you'll read Luke 2 verses 1 to 20 with your family when you gather to celebrate Christmas. We have the Christmas story there and Luke chapter 2 verses 1 to 20. But we're going to pick up right after that, right after the birth of Jesus when Mary and Joseph take Jesus to the temple. And we're introduced to this character who epitomizes this peace that we're talking about. We epitomizes this waiting on Jesus. Verse 21 says, And when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus. The name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now, when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout. And I want you to pay special attention to the next words. Waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said. Now, here at Faith Church, we are blessed to have little babies, right? And everybody loves to love on these children. We've got workers in the nursery right now that are showing care and affection to uh, the children Right? But I don't think that even in our congregation, where we love children, that if someone walked in for the very first time today, that you would run over and swoop their child up from them. 
And that's what's happening in this moment. Because while Mary and Joseph would have belonged to a synagogue that they went to on a regular basis, that they would have been around people that they saw every week, this is the temple in Jerusalem. This isn't the church that they go to every week. They're on a special trip to go and perform this act, which is customary for a new baby. And here is this guy that they don't know who swoops their baby up and says the following words. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And knowing what he has just said, and knowing that this is not someone that they're really familiar with, it makes sense that verse 33 says, and Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. This passage of Scripture tells us a good bit about Simeon. It tells us that he is a devote, devout, and just man. But it also tells us that the Holy Ghost is upon him and that he is waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the word consolation is comfort that's received by a person after a disappointment or a loss. It's comfort that is given to someone who has suffered or is suffering. It's not just encouragement. It's encouragement to the person who's struggling. It's encouragement to the person who needs it. It's encouragement to the person who is facing hardship. Jesus arrived among a people who were suffering, who were needing, who were hoping for, who were waiting for consolation, for an encouragement in the middle of their suffering. When Simeon swoops baby Jesus up in his arms in the temple, it is a temple that is surrounded by Roman soldiers out in the streets, the presence of a foreign enemy army and occupying force. Israel has its temple and is able to worship, but it does not have its freedom. And they're in the middle of what is yet another generation hoping for one day they will be freed. And I never really realized it until I studied on Simeon that there are actually a few people that Mark and Luke both refer to as those hoping and waiting on the Lord. The next person that we're introduced to here in this passage is Anna, who we are told is someone who is waiting on the Lord, waiting for the redemption of Israel specifically. When we're introduced to Joseph of Arimathea, who would loan his tomb to Jesus for three days, he was described as someone who was looking for the kingdom of God. 
You see, there was a group of people when Jesus arrived that they were holding on to the promises and the prophecies of a coming Savior. They were holding on to the promises that had been made to their people generations before, and they were watching and they were waiting. They were hoping. I don't know if there's something that you've watched and waited for. Just recently, I was at our Free Will Baptist Leadership Conference uh, this past week, and my brother-in-law, who's also a pastor, he told me about their church needed a new van. They ordered that van over a year ago. And every month, he gets an email that says the exact same thing. We are still working on your order. He says, I'm almost sick and tired of getting the email because it doesn't say anything new. We're still waiting. There's no word. They've been told that once they receive a VIN number, then it'll be at least another three months before this van is completed. No new information, just waiting, just watching. When Jesus arrives, there had been a, what you would call a dark period, 400 years of no new revelation, no new prophecy, no new information. They're holding on to these promises that are old older than America is for us right now. Promises that were made generations ago. And this group of people, they're waiting, they're hoping, they're holding on to these promises, and then Jesus arrives and he checks all of the boxes. He fulfills all of the promises. Not just one or two of them, but all of them. Genesis 3.15 foretells of the Messiah being born of the seed of woman. Jesus is that. Isaiah 7 tells us of the Messiah being born of a virgin. Jesus is that. Psalm 2 tells us that when Jesus arrives, that he will be the Son of God. Jesus is that. Scripture tells us throughout Genesis that he will be a son of Abraham, a son of Isaac, a son of Jacob. Genesis tells us he'll be in the tribe of Judah. Then in Isaiah we learn he'll be in the family line of Jesse. Jeremiah tells us that he'll be in the house and lineage of David. Micah tells us that he'll be born in Bethlehem. Guess what? Jesus does all of that. Psalm 72 tells us that he'll be presented with gifts. Magi come from the far east and they present him with gifts. Jeremiah 31 tells us that there will be weeping in Bethlehem, in the region. And Herod kills all of the children under the age of two, trying to kill Jesus. And that prophecy is fulfilled. This chapter, Luke 2, opens with a decree from Caesar Augustus that plays directly into moving Mary and Joseph from where they're at to directly where they need to be in the moment of Jesus' birth. God is displaying that he is able to move heaven and earth and has control over all of the details. And when Jesus arrives, he is exactly the one that they've been waiting for. Now, some of you are impressive. If you make a decision, you follow through with it. You have so much control. If you decide you're going to lose weight, you lose weight. That's awesome. We don't hate you. I promise we don't hate you that it's so easy for you to take control of your life. Some of you have set out to, to accomplish goals or start businesses. You have been a take charge type of person. You have seized the day. 
but even the person in here who has taken the most control of their life and taken the most control of their circumstances, you had absolutely no control over your birth. None. Warren Buffett is one of the richest men in the world who has immense control over his circumstances today, has famously said that the, the, the key... The, the kickoff for so much of his success is that he was born in America and the time that he was something that he had absolutely no control over. Jesus is born at exactly the right time, in the right place, fulfilling all of these prophecies because he had full control. His arrival was not outside of his control. His arrival was his choice. He chose to come and be among us. And these people... Joseph and Anna and Simeon and others, they were waiting for someone who would check all of these boxes. And the Holy Spirit had even promised to Simeon specifically that he would see the fulfillment of this prophecy before he passed away. And the scriptures show us here that Simeon goes to the temple, probably as was his custom, as he did often, but he feels led in that moment to be there. He's following the lead of the Spirit, and when he sees Jesus, he just knows. He knows this is the child. He doesn't question Mary and Joseph. He knows immediately. And he's able to speak all of these wonderful mysteries about Jesus that when Joseph and Mary hear them, they cannot believe it. It's incredible. And so Simeon is blessed to see with his own eyes the fulfillment of this promise. He is overjoyed. And what does he say? He says, Lord, because of this, your servant can depart in peace. Lord, I can die in peace. There's a song that if I had the talent to just ring out a few bars, you would immediately recognize it. Song White Christmas. Even though it came out in 1942, that was a little while ago. It's incredibly popular still to this day. When it came out, it spent 11 weeks on the top of the Billboard charts. It's the only song to be the number one song in three different years because it would be re-released by some new artist and raced to the top of the charts. It was incredibly popular during World War II because the lyrics reminded soldiers and reminded families who had soldiers overseas during that conflict of when they could hopefully be back together again. But that song was written by a man named Irving Berlin who didn't celebrate Christmas, didn't believe in Christmas. He wrote it so that Bing Crosby could sing it on one of his radio programs and then it would later become a part of a major movie. But he wasn't someone who celebrated Christmas. But while he didn't celebrate Christmas, he had a Christmas tradition that he observed every year. Irving had lost a son who was only three weeks old. And every year on Christmas Day, he would visit the grave of his son. And so while people across the nation were singing White Christmas and celebrating together, Irving Berlin would be there at the tomb of his son, grieving. 
Irving wrote songs for other people to sing. He wrote other famous songs. I sometimes wonder if many of us celebrate Christmas the same way that he did every year. We know the songs about joy and peace and hope, but it's not something we're experiencing. It's something that other people are experiencing because we find ourselves surrounded by hardship and adversity and grief. I'm afraid that for many of us, the idea of being merry and bright is something that we think could only happen if all of our troubles went away, if all of the adversity was gone. We have this idea that joy and grief are sequential, that if you have joy but then grief comes into the picture, joy goes away. And as long as grief is there, joy cannot be there, but as soon as grief is gone, then joy can come back in to the picture. I think we struggle with the same idea when it comes to peace and adversity. We think that as long as there's no adversity, we can have peace. But as soon as adversity and hardship and trial come into the picture, then peace is gone. And the only way for peace to enter back into our lives if we get rid of the adversity. This is not what we see in the scriptures, though. What we see in the scriptures is that joy and grief are not sequential, but rather they're simultaneous. And peace and adversity are not exclusive, but rather they're intertwined. Now, I'm not saying that our religion is a bipolar religion. Rather, I'm saying it's layered. We have this deep emotional harmony that goes along with the ever-changing melody of our human experience. We see this laid out in Scripture for us in a couple of places. Jesus' friend Lazarus dies, and though Jesus knows that he's about to be reunited with him because he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead, Jesus weeps. Paul would tell us in Philippians chapter 2, that to die is to gain and to live is to Christ to, to live is Christ. In the very next verse, he would talk about having sorrow upon sorrow for the passing of a colleague. He just said that to die is gain. But he weeps and he has sorrow for his colleague who has passed. In Philippians 4, he tells us that he's learned to have peace or to be content in good times and bad. In plenty and in want, in abundance and in famine. Elsewhere, Paul would describe his ministry band, his team, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing. What we have pictured here for us in this experience of simultaneously feeling joy but also grief is what it means to have peace. The peace that is offered in Scripture is not the absence of adversity, but it's joy and trust and hope and contentment in the face of that adversity. This is part of the reason that it's referred to as a peace that passes all understanding. Because it doesn't make sense outside of the hope that we have in Christ. Perhaps you've heard the story. It's been told many times that there was a competition where artists were challenged to, to paint a painting or a portrait that pictured peace. And some artists, you know, painted a serene landscape. Some did 
calm waters with the sunset. But one artist, he painted an angry sky, falling rain, lightning, and there on the side of a mountain, a foaming waterfall. But there out of that seawall in a tiny bush and a crack in a rock, there was a mother bird who built her nest and was shielding her young. And that artist won and the judge explained, peace does not mean to be in a place where there is no noise or trouble or hard work. Peace means to be in the midst of all those things and still be calm in your heart. This is real peace. It's not that Simeon has just stumbled upon this peace. He's been hoping in it his whole life. He's been waiting for it. He's been longing for it. He's been searching for it. Simeon says here, Lord, you can take me home in peace because I have seen your salvation that I am hoping in. Simeon had, face, had peace even in facing death because he had seen the Christ child. And the consolation of Israel had arrived. He was blessed to see with his own eyes the fulfillment of the promise that generations before him had just hoped for, had longed for. He was able to see what his ancestors who were carried off into captivity, who watched their neighbors' homes be burned and their children be killed by enemy invaders that they longed for a Messiah who would come and make all things right. His ancestors had walked through that and he got to see the arrival. And so he says, my eyes have seen thy salvation in verse 30. Verse 31, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people. Verse 32, a light to the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. Not only was Jesus the arriving fulfillment of the promises for the people of Israel, but the arrival of the fulfillment of a Savior for you and me. Gentiles. Non-Jews. Arriving to, to set the Israelites free, yes, but also us. To be the glory of Israel, but a glory that is for all of us to partake in for all of us to trust in. And Simeon was not only at peace because he'd seen the fulfillment of the promise, because he knew that this light would be, a, this child would be a light for the ages to come. Now listen, there were going to be people that would come along in Jesus' life later that they assumed that he was going to throw off the Roman rulers, that, that Jesus was going to come and be this victorious, powerful mighty warrior king like King David was. But Simeon seems to know that that's, that's not what Jesus is going to be about. Because in the closing words, he says to Mary, a sword will pierce your soul also. Because he, he this child, will reveal the hearts of many. You know what would happen when Jesus would come among the people, they would have one of two reactions. They would fall down and give their entire lives to him. Recognize that he is God in the flesh, 
God with us, the Son of God who fulfills all of the prophecies and checks all of the boxes and therefore deserves our full allegiance. They would do that or they would run from him or they would attempt to kill him. See, the only option that we don't see is the one that most people pick is to just be indifferent, which makes no sense. Because if Jesus is the Son of God, if he is who he says he is, the only correct response is to lay down our lives before him. And some would do this. And some would do the opposite and run from him. So even in this moment, even in this moment that Simeon has seen the fulfillment of these promises, even in this moment when he recognizes the Messiah has arrived, Simeon knows that it isn't all rainbows and butterflies and flowers from this point forward, but there is a coming war. There's more adversity and hardship ahead. He's just told Mary that a sword is going to pierce her soul. But he's filled with overwhelming peace? How is that? Because this peace that is offered in Christ is not the removal of all hardship, but rather it is a goodness and a grace that overwhelms all. Dad's Christmas is coming. Are you ready? I know that most of us are going to watch the kids open the gifts and be just as surprised as they are at what they get. But then our work begins because there's gadgets to set up and batteries to put in, stuff to build, Packaging that is impossible to open, that we will need to open so that the children can play with these toys that they have just received. Christmas morning is the morning that the gift is unwrapped, but the work just begins. Christmas and Jesus' arrival, he is here. God is with us, but the work is just beginning. Simeon had been watching and waiting for Jesus, anticipating and expecting. And in verse 30, he says, My eyes have seen the salvation of the Lord. He has seen what he was waiting for, but he knew the work was just beginning. Because all around him, there was need and heartache and enemies Brothers and sisters in Christ, Jesus has arrived, but our work continues. Our work goes on. And there's a major calling for you and for me to make sure that those children down the hall, they know that message of hope and peace. They know that the Savior of the world has arrived, that this is not just some nice story that we retell once a year as an excuse to give each other gifts and decorate our homes and eat more cookies than is wise. It's meaningful and powerful and significant and life-changing. 
And our work continues to make sure they know. And make sure they know. Our community all around us who right now are singing songs about a Savior. Who are singing Silent Night, Holy Night, but they don't know the Jesus that it's all about. Our work has only begun. Because while the peace has arrived, it has not fully triumphed yet. It's incredible that with all that Simeon has seen in his many years, what gives him hope is not chariots, it's not political prowess, it's not a king, it's a little baby, a little child. Not even two weeks old yet, just little one and he's filled with hope if he was there when Jesus arrived he would have seen the, the humble arrival in a manger surrounded by shepherds you know there's some, some pressure at this time of year to make everything amazing and perfect beautiful and I love I love all of it. I love the beautiful decorations and I love the incredible baked goods. And But what showed up that first Christmas was not impressive. Just a baby. Scripture would, would tell us that even when Jesus grew to be older that he wasn't that remarkable just at face value. But he was the promise. He was the hope. And that little infant filled Simeon's heart with gladness and peace. And friend, the gospel can do the same in your life. And it might not be regarded and seem that impressive to the world. But when you know all of the boxes that have been checked and you know all of the promises that still await, it provides a peace that passes understanding. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer.